Whether we're talking about the fear of failure or anything else holding you back, confidence is the key to unleashing your power. Welcome to Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. Join our second season with Gen Z leaders and explore how you can become more confident. Welcome to episode one, Gen Z, Race and Resilience. At LiveGirl, our mission is to build confident leaders and contribute to a world free from racial and gender inequality. We are called to work together to create an anti-racist society and build leaders who listen to and understand lives different from their own. In the past, we have interviewed fierce female leaders to learn their leadership lessons. But lately, it's really resonated with me how young people are leading the way. Americans have poured into the streets to protest racial injustice and police violence against Black Americans. But over half, 52% who have protested are between the ages of 18 and 29. Today, we're honored to talk to a brilliant group of young women, and we are inspired by how these leaders are rising to take action. Yeah, you know, I agree. I'm so inspired right now by so many young leaders, but including Malala, Greta, um, the Teens for Equality group, the group of six uh, young women who organized the national protest with over 10,000 participants um, is truly amazing. And today I'm honored to be joined by some of my peers and now I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Abnerly Masana. I'm an African-American woman and I'm a rising senior at JM Wright Technical High School in Stanford, Connecticut. So I'm so happy to be here. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Rainice and I'm a rising senior at Hopkins School in New Haven, Connecticut, um, and I am black. Hi everyone, my name is Kelly Taylor. I am a sophomore at Houston Community College located in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And thank you so very much for tuning in. Hi, my name is Kate. I'm a rising senior. Bridgetown University. I'm a white woman and I'm so excited to join you today. Hi, my name is Tiara Starks. I'm a rising junior at the University of New Haven located in West Haven, Connecticut, and I am black. Okay, let's get started. So first we should note that this podcast is being recorded one month after the killing of George Floyd, and there's been a reckoning in our country. I know you all agree. Many people are just now awakening to our country's history of systemic racism and oppression. And many people want to have the conversation and take action, but don't know how. They worry about leaning in and leading to feelings of anger, guilt, discomfort, sadness, or possibly disrespect. So first of all, I wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank all of you for joining us today and for having the courage to participate in this conversation and to really take the time to acknowledge that we have a collective responsibility uh, to the world in which we live. Um, so our first question is that we know that stereotypes and therefore biases develop at an early age. And children are not born with biases, but they develop them over time in their families and social settings. Can you talk about how your racial identity um, was experienced as an adolescent and specifically growing up, did you discuss race in your family? Renice, you wanna jump in? Yes, sure, sorry. <laughs> um, so for me specifically, I grew up in predominantly white schools. So I have always um, been one of very few in my class. I have never um, grown up in a classroom that has more than two 
um, black people in, um, in a classroom. And for me, it was very difficult because I was told that I was very whitewashed and, and that, that because I was educated, there was something very different about me. And, and that for some reason, like education is always associated with the white race. So I had a very difficult time from about seventh grade to 10th grade, um, kind of really grasping my identity, you know, understanding who I was as opposed to what society viewed me as and, and how everyone else around me um, chose um, to kind of put me in this little box. You know, I'm not, I'm not black enough to, 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 you know, fit their standards, but obviously I'm not white. I don't look white at all. So, so it is, it, it was this balancing act for me when I was younger. And in terms of speaking about it in at home, I mean, there was never really this discussion about, um, you know, what it means to be black. I never really had that discussion. I never had like any kind of, um, like at the dinner table, it wasn't something we really talked about. It was just like, we are your family, we are black and you identify as black and that that's all we know. You know, we never really talked about it. Um, and I never really um, talked about my, my feelings at attending a school that only had like white kids. So I never really had that kind of outlet to discuss that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of my experience growing up. Yeah, similar to Anise, but from a different perspective, obviously I went to a very predominantly white school as well. Um, and I just took a look at the statistics the other day and it is really only 1% of students who are black, um, which is staggering. And growing up, I frequently had no black kids in my class. Um, and at most probably one, like maybe two. Um, so race was really never a conversation in either my education and usually not in my family setting either, um, but it became something I was very aware of throughout high school in particular. Um, as I became, I think, very acutely aware of you know, white privilege and just how strongly that affects really every component of my life and how it's played a role in my school system and my education. And so I think as I became more aware of that and um, you know, grew up with an interest in current events, I started having those conversations at the family dinner table. Um, and my, my mom who grew up in this town, my dad who grew up in the South, um, those are conversations they weren't necessarily used to having. So I think it was, it was definitely new for them at first, um, but I've definitely noticed them become more, more familiar with just the language of, of racial justice and, and white privilege. I think even the, just the term white privilege makes people really uncomfortable sometimes. Um, which is why it's so important to make sure people understand what it means and how strongly it forms their positionality in all forms of life, really. So having those conversations with your family, I think are so crucial. Absolutely, and Kate, the data is that 75% of white families have not discussed race. So um, you're right, we, we all need to start having that conversation and, and you know, the work begins now. That's what, that's what we're doing here today. Um, Tira? Yeah, so um, just like Renice, I've had pretty similar experiences. I grew up going to private school, predominantly white. I was one of usually two or three black kids in the class. So I've always kind of felt like I would be considered the outsider um, in most situations. And I know that for a lot of black um, girls and guys who live in this area, they kind of have that feeling of 
you know, never being able to fit in, kind of assimilating to quote unquote white culture and all that. So I definitely have had those experiences throughout the years and I still continue to. Um, I grew up predominantly with like a white friend group as well. So I had to kind of shift a lot of my thinking in order to kind of understand like how most black people in America feel. So because they're not exactly um, in the same circumstances as most of us, at least on the, um, in Connecticut specifically. So thankfully I've been able to be more educated educated i've been able to educate other people too about uh, racial incidences like all around the country even here in fairfield connecticut a lot of things go uncovered and unseen but i think it's something that definitely needs to be talked about with people um regardless of um whatever race you are thank you abnerline yeah definitely bouncing back off what everyone said um for me it was actually different I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where I was surrounded by all cultures, all different backgrounds. And, you know, I never experienced certain things, but, you know, moving down to Connecticut, it was a whole, it was a different vibe. It was a different culture um, environment that I wasn't, you know, used to. And trying to fit in where, with people that, you know, didn't really understand my hustle, I guess I would say, was something that was hard for me because I didn't know exactly where I fit in with people that were used to not, you know, talking about race, talking about culture, and are like basically hidden in this shadow. And when I came along, you know, having these conversations, people were confused. People, you know, were like, why do you always talk about race? Why is this something that you always want to bring up? And it's like, this is something that we have to talk about because you see it on television, you see it when you walk down the street growing up you know, in Brooklyn, there are certain things you can't do. There's certain ways you can't walk in the street because you don't want to get targeted. You know, my mom always like, when I put my hood, even if it's cold, like take your hood down because, you know, you don't want to be targeted by the police. And, you know, growing up, I was afraid of the cop, obviously. You know, if I seen a police car, I would, you know, I would shake in my boots because it's something that, you know, you see on television, you see people getting killed by police, police brutality. And it's something that resonates with you as a African-American because you see it happening to your own people and moving out to Connecticut and having these conversations about, you know, what you go through in an environment where you're constantly vigilant, you're constantly having to, you know, think about your next steps is something that a lot of people don't understand, a lot of people don't experience. And like Tiara said, I think it's important that we have these conversations, you know, no matter who you are, no matter your race or background, because it's happening to it's happening to us. And we really have need to have these conversations because it doesn't only affect us, it affects everybody, regardless of who you are. Well said. Kelly? So for me, I went to a diverse um, school. And when I went to this diverse school, we had a music class. And I distinctly remember my music teacher um, just going through the different cultures of music. And then she asked us as a homework assignment to um, Google and research, talk to your parents about your nationality and what is, what is your race and or your ethnicity. And I remember that was the first time actually talking to my parents about race and knowing about our family history and getting educated. And I feel like to me, I'm grateful for the opportunity, but I know for other people, they may not have that same opportunity where they were taught or introduced that in a school environment. So I'm grateful for that, but it just makes me, it made me aware of how of an issue this really is and that we should be even more educated than what we are now. Yeah. 
So thank you all for, for sharing and, and being so honest. Um, so the next couple of questions, we'll just ask a few of you to answer each of these um, as we continue. And Olivia, you wanna ask the next one? Yeah, sure. So with the spotlight on the Black Lives Matter movement right now, what are your current feelings about racism and oppression in America? Okay, so um, for me, I just believe that it's not taught enough. And I think that there's this, um, in, in schools and things, we don't really talk about it because again, like everyone was saying in this group that it's like a touchy, touchy subject for some people when I think it's just as fundamental as learning about politics. And, and it's, it's like, are you know, having those conversations um, at the dinner table, that's really where it all begins. And I think that a lot of things people don't understand is the difference between like racism and, and, and prejudice and stuff. Like people do not know that it's like racism is oppressor versus the oppressed and prejudice is more like bias and stereotyping and, and not everyone can be racist. And that's just, and that's just a fact. And I think the, what irritates me a lot because I do go to a PWI predominantly white institution, it's the, the ignorance. And I know that they can't help it sometimes because they just simply have not been taught. And then they're not comfortable enough to ask the questions. So the ignorance still lingers and that will happen for most of their lives until something as big as this Black Lives Matter movement um, does have a huge presence in America. And it, it, it's sad that it has to take this kind of extreme for that to happen. So to me, because you know as a black not only black but as a black woman in in america there's so much with this intersection that i have to deal with and and it's just i just need people to simply educate and that's just something i would say that that if you can educate and read and and i will like you ask me a question i will answer if you if you um want a recommendation for a book or a podcast or a um a movie you know i will i will gladly do that for you but the more that people speak up i just need people to to, to be more engaged, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm seeing that from my white counterparts right now and my um, non-black people of color as well. It's great to see the people standing up and, and protesting and, and, and everything and, and bringing awareness, um, but it's just that it, it's just, it's taken too long. You know, it's, 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 it should not have to go this far and we should not still be having this conversation. So those are my feelings towards it currently. Um, and they have always been this way, but definitely these feelings have been brought up and, and heightened during at this time. Well said, Bernice. And if the birds chirping in the background is any indication, they wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with everything you're saying. It's a beautiful accompaniment to this podcast. <laughs> um, so Tiara, this question for you. What, what do you want your non-Black friends to know about racism? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, it's funny because I've had conversations with a lot of my white friends, um, non-white friends of color, and um, Thankfully, they've all been very open to conversation. Um, I know there's a lot of people that I went to school with that are very um, either against the Black Lives Matter movement or kind of just don't want to talk about it, which kind of um, is kind of upsetting because I've been friends with them for so long. But ideally, I just want all of my non-Black friends to just kind of understand that this is a fight that me and a lot of my friends have been fighting for a long time. It's not something that's ever... Um, been something in the back of my mind. It's always been in the forefront of my mind. I'm always consciously thinking about race. I'm always consciously thinking about how I can fit in or how I don't fit in. What are, the, what are my similarities or differences between people? And it's something that I don't think should be normal. I don't think we should always be, you know, talking about how our race, our race divides us, you know, like everything's becoming a lot more divisive. And I don't think it's helpful to anyone, especially for people of our age and our generation. We're going to grow up thinking that race should be, you know, something that 
again, like divides us and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I think more people just need to be educated and just need to understand that um, because biases exist and it's just something that's natural and human, we need to fight those biases and we have to be able to communicate with others and just let them know that, okay, so even though we have these differences, it doesn't mean we can't come together and just be friends or just, you know, be more open to letting people share their experiences and their cultures and everything. I think that's one of the main things I want to tell my white friends just to be open, don't be divisive, try to come together and just have a um, open and honest conversation. Thank you. Um, Kelly, can you share a story of either racism or racial bias, either personal or observed so that others understand how harmful and limiting this is? Um, so I think that's a great question. And I have the honor privilege. My mother is a teacher and my mom teaches in Bridgeport. And I've seen it firsthand. She has seen it firsthand. Um, I believe a lot of the teachers as well as the students need to get educated. Um, but I've actually heard teachers saying, um, of white teachers saying that how their students or how their kids live in a better part of Connecticut um, and they'll never get taught or they're taught better than what their Bridgeport students are teaching right now, or I'll reword that a little bit better, but um, how their students or their kids where they live is being taught better than the students that they're teaching right now. And it's really sad. And I know for my mom, it's very frustrating because she wants to help out every kid and every kid has a potential, but it's already that limiting beliefs of just because you're this color or this race, um, you're already limited to these these to these circumstances. And it's unfortunate um, and it's very sad and disheartening because a lot of these teachers, these kids look up to these teachers, but when they have that in their back of their mind that someone's already planning them to fail, um, it, it doesn't seem good, it's not good, um, and it's really disheartening. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, for Kate, as a white student, what does it mean to you to be an ally? Um, I think two things, primarily. One, showing up when it's inconvenient, and two, learning means unlearning. Um, to, to highlight what Tierra said earlier about like being in this fight for a long time, I think it's great that so many people are active on social media right now and it's so refreshing to finally see people care about Black Lives Matter. But I've seen so many people who are almost like surprised at what's going on. And, you know, obviously it's, it's shocking to know that like this is how our society is like, but this is how it's been for a long time. And the fact that, that we don't know that shows the systemic flaws in our education systems and in in the people we surround ourselves with and in the way our news is presented to us and all of those things and so people need to keep talking about this and they need to keep taking action when it's not trending on social media and when when you know they're not getting likes or views for taking action for black lives matter and they also need to recognize, you know, what in their lives has, has taught them racism and unlearn that um, and recognize where they've been and where they are complicit in racism and unlearn that too. 
Yeah, very well said. And I love how you said showing up when inconvenient. And you're right. I mean, the work begins now and it is going to require work for all of us. Um, so let, let's talk about that in terms of the call to action. Um, Abner Lane, can you start and just talk about in, in any way that you've been involved, um, either in protests, petitions, on social media, um, and just kind of your general thoughts on how you can affect positive change um, in this area? Personally, I am so proud of my generation, Generation Z. Um, we are really out here striving to create change. And it's something that is, you know, beautiful to see when you see different cultures, different people together from different countries as well, fighting for, you know, Black lives. And personally, I've been working with a couple of my friends. We've been, we're actually planning a protest on July 7th during um, the Blackout Day. And we are also, for those who cannot attend the protest due to the COVID-19, we are also planning a three-day series webinar. Um, we are planning a three-day series webinar about voting, about the Black experience in healthcare and also in schools. And you know, we're, we're working on getting on speakers to come and talk about their experiences because I think it's honestly very important for all of us to really educate ourselves and really take the time to take a step back. And like Kate said, honestly unlearn what we all learned in history books and you know things that we were taught um i saw something on twitter i think i'm not sure who it was by but you know it talked about how you know columbus day is a day it's a, it's a federal holiday while juneteenth is not and it talks about how we sought to glorify you know the lies instead of the actual facts in our country in our country's history and it's something that really you when you take a step back and look at how society and how our country and nation is built up to set black people back it's very very dis it's honestly disgusting and you know with my generation i think you know everyone's starting to wake up and my generation is really taking the initiative to create change and you know protesting petitions those three girls who led that ten thousand participant protest that was amazing and you know where the change, you know, after everything, after the protests are finished, you know, after everything settles down, you know, it's time for us to go out there, to go talk to our legislators, to go out and, you know, sign these petitions, reopen cases that happen and really talk about what's going on in our country and not leaving it and dusting it under the rug after hashtags, you know, are diminishing in social media. This is still an ongoing issue in our country and our nation that we still have to talk about, that we still have to tackle. And I think my generation is honestly not gonna let it go. Even though we're tired, even though, you know, we're sick and tired of having this conversation, we're sick and tying, tired of seeing our brothers and our sisters under the, the knees of police officers. We're tired of seeing them die each and every second but at the end of the day, it's something that we all together need to talk about. We really need to talk to it with our parents, you know, our guardians, whoever, friends, um, family, and really bring attention and awareness to this issue because it's, it's hurting to see. It's hurting to see that because of the color of your skin, you are treated like dirt. You are treated like an animal and it's disgusting. You know, you see it in our criminal justice system. You see it everywhere. And the systematic and institutional racism that we see is just it's disheartening. It's really just, it's, it makes me cringe inside. It, it turns my stomach inside out because I just can't understand why, you know, I can't understand the hate that we get. I don't, I can't understand why we're treated like less and, you know, having these conversations are important 
because we're all humans. We all want the same things. We all, we just, we just want to live like everyone else. And I think it's important that we have these conversations. Yes, thank you. Sorry, can I have one more thing? I love Aberdeen's, that was spot on. And I also want to add, also we need to educate, especially in the black community and as well as the Hispanic community, also about the census. The census is very important, especially during this time. Um, census gives the black community as well as other communities funding sources. Um, so as educating young people, the families, members about it um, would definitely empower and improve our communities as well. Thank you for that. Very, very important. Um, and talk about inspiring, Tierra. Um, so this past Friday on Juneteenth at a Stanford event organized by Victoria Peraguera called Speak Your Peace, uh, you read such a brilliant and important original speech entitled My Privilege. Can you just talk a little bit about what inspired you to write that and how it felt to be a part of um, that moment? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was asked by, I was approached by Victoria to speak and I realized that this would be my opportunity to just kind of share about my experiences and just kind of call out the kind of underlying racism that's in this area, Fairfield County specifically. Um, I entitled it My Privilege because, like I said, um, I primarily grew up in a white neighborhood. Um, I went to a primarily white schools. And I am myself a light-skinned uh, Black woman. So there's a lot of things that I personally have as a privilege, um, just as being a human being. I'm a, like, like I said, I'm a light-skinned Black woman. I went to Bromley White schools. I live in Bromley like, White na neighborhoods. I had a good education and everything. And I talked about how I was with my friend um, in CVS up um, near where I live. And our man, the manager came up and was like, uh, what are you guys doing? And honestly, we were just on our phones laughing, but it was me and my um, darker skinned coworker. And it was like kind of interesting to see how we still were being targeted and profiled. We were young black women just laughing at something on my phone. We weren't doing anything like malicious. We were just kind of looking around and stuff. So that kind of like solidified that there's uh, lot of tens um and that was something that kind of like sparked my interest in writing my piece ideally i'd love um for those who haven't um heard it or will hear it um, in the future i'd love for people to kind of understand that like even when you're put in a position where you're not sure whether or not that's like someone who's just um in someone that's um acting on their biases or someone that's just kind of ignorant it's okay to speak up. It's okay to be like, okay, this is not right. I'm uncomfortable and you are making me feel uncomfortable. It's something that I think more people, more black people, more white people, more non um, people, non-white people of color just need to understand if you see an injustice or racial insensitivity, speak up about it and make sure that people, make sure that your voice is heard and make sure that people know because it's something that should not go unseen or unheard. Thank you, Tara. Um, couldn't agree more. And um, you know, we talked a lot about that sentiment with a recent uh, speaker to the SheWorks program, Mita Malik, who is the head of diversity and inclusion at Unilever. And Olivia, you and I had a lengthy conversation about that. Um, what were your takeaways from that conversation? 
Yeah, you know, she said that we must all be leaders of inclusion and we must all build authentic bridges with people whose lives are different from our own. And I think that this is vital as we move forward in the future. Um, we can't just focus on signing one petition. And while yes, that's so important, we have to take steps to increase the education at, you know, at predominantly white um, schools. And we have to make sure that everyone's voices are heard, not just those who have the most privilege. Yeah, it's so important. Um, so I, I, you all are brilliant. And thank you so much again for just being brave and speaking up and having this conversation. And um, you know, everything that was said here today is, is so important. And it really is just the beginning conversation. So we hope to be having more and more of these conversations. Just as we transition and kind of close the podcast, um, we have just a couple of questions so that our audience and our listeners can get to know you a little bit better from a personal standpoint. We call them our three wise women questions. Um, Liv, do you want to ask the first one? Yep. What has kept you sane during quarantine? Hmm. Kate, uh, do you want to ask? <laughs> sure. Um, I feel like I, I took up some random hobbies. I crocheted a bit, which is something my grandmother taught me how to do like years ago, but I never actually did. And I made some bread, um, <laughs> learned how to make bread, which is exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> Renice? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a huge theater kid. So musical theater is like my passion. Um, and I, <laughs> in my room, I've always wanted to do paint, I paint in some way and I've never really gotten into it. So um, around my room, there is just titles of shows that I've been in that, that I've been painting um, on my walls. And I've been working on it since, since April, I think, and I'm still not done. Um, but as you like, if you walk in, if you want to walk into my room, it's just like, from one wall to the other. It's just like wrapped around as titles of shows and lots of colors and painting. And so I've been doing that and I learned how to make an omelet and I've been making omelets every morning. So that's pretty much my entire quarantine. Omelets are good standard fare, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Kelly, what about you? For me, it's been a couple, but the one that stands out is virtual yoga and meditation, as well as empowering women um, webinars on Zoom. Those have been keeping me insane. Amazing. Abnerly? Yes, I would also agree. I've been exercising a lot while keeping my body fit because sometimes when you're in quarantine, it's kind of hard to, you know, keep your exercise going. But um, I've been doing that. I've been chatting with friends as well, you know, checking up on people. I think that's very important during quarantine. You know, just hearing people's voices and just, you know, even though everything's going on, just, you know, trying to keep a normal lifestyle indoors and just, you know, keep the friendships going, keep the family, you know, activities going, even though it's online or whatever, you know, Zooms as well. I think I'm doing a lot of Zooms about educational things, you know, Black Lives Matter, voting, whatever it is. It's been helping me, keeping me educated as well to what's going on in the country. So I think that's been really keeping me sane during these times. Awesome. Tiara? Yeah, um, so similarly to Renice, I'm also a really big musical theater fan. Um, I, <laughs> I've been listening to the soundtrack of Come From Away. I don't know if you guys heard of that musical, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of my favorite soundtracks. I love it so much. Um, I've been going on walks too, just kind of to clear my head and just kind of being able to kind of reset after a long day of doing Zooms and just talking with friends. I just kind of like being by myself and walking around my neighborhood. Um, and 
honestly, I think that's pretty much what I do during quarantine. Keep me somewhat sane. <laughs> awesome. And finish the question. In 10 years, I'll be dot, dot, dot. Um, and we'll have Kelly and Renice answer this one, and then the others answer our final question. So Kelly? So in 10 years, I will be a CEO of my own technology company. Yes. <laughs> Renice? Oh my goodness. In 10 years, uh, I'll be 27. So I will be <laughs> out of college. I will be um, on Broadway. I will. I will be uh, performing on stage soon. Come to New York. <laughs> and um, the others, who do you consider to be the greatest leader of all time, living or historical? Abnerlene? Um, I was definitely, I was thinking about this question. Um, I would definitely say Harriet Tubman because, you know, um, going back in history and, you know, seeing someone that was enslaved frees so many people with so little, you know, and that kind of inspires me to do so much more because, you know, that quote that says your, your ancestors' wildest dreams and, you know, being, you know, I guess I wouldn't say free, but you know, having the opportunity that I do have in this country and having a voice and being able to openly speak out about the injustices is something that, you know, I resonate a lot with Harriet, you know, being able to speak my voice, speak my truth and somewhat create change in, you know, the environment that we're living in. So I think she is a very inspiring person. Tira? Oh, uh, I teeter between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, but um, just touching on both of them, they've just been really great leaders. Um, I've been inspired so much by just learning more about them. You know, when I was younger, I didn't really get to learn a lot about their history. So I, as I grew older, I just kind of learned stuff on my own and from what my parents told me. And it's just very just interesting to see how they were leading a movement that still continues on today, that's still being... Um, talked about today. It's just very inspiring and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to um, keep them as references, but also be able to move past all this uh, divisiveness and everything. It's just very interesting to read about how they were able to impact change at that time and how we can continue their legacy into today. Okay. It's funny. I was also thinking about this question. I was also going to say Harriet Tubman because I watched the Harriet documentary the other day and learned so much that I didn't even know and then went and watched some more videos like YouTube videos and learned even more that I didn't know and it is insane the amount that this woman did like also her bravery just baffles me um she went after she escaped um and made it to freedom and before she actually started the underground railroad she like physically went back down um and like risked her own freedom multiple times to go bring back her family which is like first of all incredible that she was able to do that with like multiple people and as a woman um whose like posters were up everywhere and also so incredibly brave and then during the civil war she was i'm probably going to mess up the statistic but it was something like the first woman in an american military battle to like lead a like successful mission. I don't know, she planned this whole mission that was like a, a like, huge turning point or something, but it's incredible. And, you know, when we talk about education, like that's something we never learned. Like, you know, we probably were taught like 
that the black history in my school probably consisted of like learning three like black figures and it was like Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and we like learned who they were and like what they did in like a flashcard type history and when I actually learned more about who she was I was like wow like that's incredible. Yeah you agree yeah. So in closing, thank you for joining today's conversation and thank you for committing to do the work of anti-racism, which as Austin Channing Brown said, is the work of treating other humans better. Um, so thank you for imagining a world of true racial justice. And to our audience, can we ask a favor? If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And in closing, I'm Sherry. And I'm Olivia. And along with these brilliant young women, we hope that you feel more confident after today's episode. This week's challenge is to challenge yourself to listen, learn, and as Kate says, unlearn, and then act. Start building authentic bridges with people whose lives are different from your own. Be a part of the solution.